Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, joined as usual by my able-bodied co-pilot on this magnificent flying machine. Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. Awesome Ward, uh, strap in, man, uh, and welcome again to the Tim May Podcast. Let's go. Let's fly this bad boy. That's right, man. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, we had we didn't have a week off, but uh, we had a week <laughs> to sit and watch football, baseball, U.S. men's national team. Caught you and color. You and your wife and your dad in living color post game celebration uh, <laughs> on Thursday. Was that Thursday night or Friday night? I get the days mixed up anymore. National team was Wednesday. That's Blue right. Jackets Thursday. Columbus Crew on Saturday. So. It was a wonderful week of sports in Columbus, Ohio. I was surprised you could even talk after cheering as loudly as you did and as long as you did and staying as long as you did after that U.S. men's national team victory. Who did they beat? Did, did they? What was that? The uh, what was the name of those guys? The the uh, cryogenics? Uh, no, who were those guys? They were playing from Costa Rica. The Ticos. Oh yeah, the Tico. I thought it was a I thought it was a Costa Rican cryogenics. I mean, everybody on that team was thirty five or older. I think it was like a senior. It was like watching a bunch of seniors play a bunch of juniors. I mean, what it was the, it was the youngest starting lineup in uh, U.S. men's national team's history or something like that, right? You know, Tim, there's there's just something going on around here right now with these youth movements because yes. you had the U.S. playing the youngest roster I think that they've ever had in, in team program history against the old Costa Rica lineup. The next night when we go to the Jackets, it's the youngest lineup in the NHL. They go out and absolutely – put one on Arizona. I did not see that coming for a season debut. Wow. And then sort of, you know, makeshift lineup there for the crew. But all this stuff that we talk about every single week with Ohio State and these young guys and the first-time starters, it's just – I guess I was well-conditioned. All right, well, the U.S. gave up a goal in the first minute. Hey, those young guys will be fine. They'll bounce back. You, you can't be too hard on them. they got to go through some growing pains. And lo and behold, they did and, and wound up with a big win. And uh, so did the Jackets, obviously, on, on Thursday and Saturday night. So. Um, even without uh, the Buckeyes playing, it was a it was a fun week of sports, man. I loved it. Yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit nauseous here, though, because it seems like my podcast is morphing off into a uh, something about soccer, uh, an elongated uh, talk about soccer, and uh, I got to steer this thing back on back onto the main part of the runway. But uh, no, it was, man. I'm sure it was cool, and you're a big time fan. There's no doubt about it. And uh, there's nothing wrong with root root rooting for your home team or your home country team. Uh, that's what I always say. Is that, is that a good way of putting it? Absolutely. And uh, Allie and I have obviously uh, followed them all over the world, um, not just around here, but it's great when they're in the backyard. Columbus always shows up uh, and shows out for those U.S. games. So the atmosphere was great. It was wonderful to be in that new stadium. Um, and really, you know, I know people are here to, to listen about college football, and we will, but it's fun to be in that arena district now with um, with Blue Jackets playing at the same time on Saturday night as the crew, yeah. you know, people people out and about and, uh, you know, hope everything stays on the right trajectory so we can keep doing that. But it's really cool and fun to be down and part of that. And uh, I hope that everyone got a welcome reminder that uh, there's more sports than just Ohio State and Columbus. I know there was a, maybe some person on a certain network who wasn't quite uh, sure of that last week, but there's this place has so much to offer. I just uh, – it was a great – Great reminder of why I love living here. Yeah, and there's a great reminder of, man, I'm kicking myself for not uh, maybe taking an opportunity to buy into a partial uh, ownership of a parking garage in that area <laughs> way back when, you know. But I digress. Hey, real quick, uh, uh, 
interesting weekend over the weekend, this past weekend, heading toward this weekend of like on the, on the face of it, some dull college football games coming and stuff. But before we get into my conversation with my special guest this week, who happens to be Demetrius Stanley, uh, one of the stars of that uh, 1996 Ohio State football team's uh, Rose Bowl victory over Arizona State. Uh, by the way, that was you weren't around then, matter of fact, you might have still been in junior high for all I know. But uh, no, I'm just messing with you. No, you might have been still in junior high now to think about it. But uh, but uh, that was that was right up there among victories, man. It had been such a drought when since Ohio State had, had what you'd call a major win, and it was coming off such such a major uh, <clears throat> what do I want to call it uh, uh, disappointment. The Ohio State lost to Michigan that year, thirteen to. 13 to nine when Ohio State couldn't score touchdowns after outscoring people like a hundred to nothing seemingly halfway through that year. But uh, Demetrius Stanley, David Boston, Joe Germain, Stanley Jackson, all those guys uh, put on a show in the Rose Bowl with a come from behind wind and last minute win. But uh, yeah, he's back to talk about that, but mainly to talk about these Ohio State receivers uh, and this Ohio State offense, which, you know, really didn't lose its place among the elite in the, uh, in the college football world, the major college football world over the weekend, even though it didn't play. Isn't that right? Awesome. Yeah. And I think it was a, to me, more than anything, watching the rest of the big 10 or, or the teams that were in action on Saturday was a reminder of uh, just how talented this roster really is. I mean, it, whatever the outcomes were, you know, tight game for Michigan state, Iowa losing to Purdue, uh, you know, whatever. It, it, it wouldn't have mattered if Iowa had blown them out. I would have walked away thinking the same thing, that Ohio State's roster top to bottom, there's a reason they've won four straight Big Ten titles, and there's a reason why they're still heavily favored to win number five this year. They just they're, – they're built differently. Um, the players that they've recruited, the, one, the way they've developed them, uh, they are, to me, clearly the most talented team in the league. Now, the schedule is going to get harder. We're going to talk about that a lot. Six-week stretch coming, seven-week stretch coming. Uh, that will be a real test for a young team. But yes, I just you can't just watch. I thought Michigan State would be – I had changed my mind a little bit, and I ranked one through six last week at Letterman Row what I thought were the toughest uh, games left for Ohio State. I thought Michigan State would be that, and they may still be. I mean, Indiana is a good team, and that's, that's under in the primetime situation on Saturday night. We'll find out how they match up with the Buckeyes. But uh, – I just don't – I don't think any of these teams the next six weeks are good enough to beat Ohio State, and they should be favored comfortably in all of them, in my opinion. Yeah, and even though the records maybe don't reflect it yet, I think the Ducks kind of got back in order, you know, in the Big Ten and even nationally, you know. And uh, uh, it's really funny because, man, this has been a strange, a crazy year so far, and uh, and it, I think it's only going to get crazier in some respects. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to hold back because we're going to talk about a lot of this in the second segment after we get back from my, my interview with uh, Demetrius Stanley. But yeah, I thought it was an eye opener and an eye opener can all, can be about also about, wait a minute, I was thinking this, but no, I really should have still been thinking this, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And I thought nationally and uh, in the big 10, it was, I, th- I experienced both of those, but yeah. you know, Purdue doing a pulling a Purdue, you know, going in, uh, I guess the number two team in the country. We all know what what Purdue did when Ohio State rolled over there many several years ago to Purdue uh, and upset the apple cart and did the same thing to Iowa. Really beat Iowa as badly as they beat Ohio State that night. Agreed. 
Yeah, considering uh, the firepower of those respective offenses, the way that they did it, yeah, completely shutting them down is, is staggering. Uh, I don't think many of us projected that, but this happens once a year with Purdue, right? I mean, they're going to come up and get you at some point the second that you relax and you look at Iowa's upcoming schedule. In hindsight, it looks like it was the perfect trap game and it wound up being that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's heading into an off date and then, you know, Michigan's looming in a, in a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, you, you feel for Iowa, right? Because seeing that happen to other programs, you can't take anything for granted. Now, the good thing for Ohio State maybe is that Purdue's already pulled that one upset. So maybe next week, next month, Ohio State will be fine when they come to the horseshoe. As, uh, as Meatloaf said, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth there with that, <laughs> with that observation. And, uh, you know, so the old saying goes, uh, you know, be careful whom, for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. That's what Iowa, I mean, that bell kid, they haven't covered him yet. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man. You know, it's uh, college football can come down to you can't cover this guy. You can't stop this guy. You can't stop the counter, you know. Uh, you know, write them down the line. Some teams just have a vulnerability and definitely Purdue found it with Iowa and then got after it defensively. But, you know, neither one of us were a real shot in the rear uh, with Iowa's offense even going into that game, right? I mean, Petrus, so we'll see if he gets any better. But uh, um, an interesting quarterback situation there at Iowa too because I'm not sure they have that big play, uh, big-time capability when they really need it. Uh, they don't have any receiver either, do they? They got tight ends. Uh, till tomorrow, but uh, who's their big time, big play receiver? I think a lot of things were exposed in that game. Yeah, and and I think that we saw that in the Penn State game. How hard yeah. it is to grind back with that offense. It's just not, you know, if they're not going to get a flood of turnovers from their defense, well, that's going to create a really challenging sort of rock fight, and that didn't work out for them. And you know, I think the other part is Michigan State. Like, I'm not sure who approved the. Uh, storyline approach that Michigan State has the best wide receivers in the Big Ten uh, and the Detroit Free Press last week. But, wow. you know, that was the first real start-to-finish opportunity that I would had to watch them. And, I again, we're going to – we'll have a direct comparison with a similar opponent in the same place one week apart. I still think Michigan State may be the most complete team that Ohio State will play. And that may sound crazy because we know how talented 1-85 through 85 Penn State is, maybe minus a quarterback. Uh, or two, depending on what happens with Sean Clifford for next Saturday night. Uh, I don't have any insight on, on his injury status. Yeah. I'm not not fully sold on Michigan um, for reasons that we've talked about, uh, not only this season, but for years past. So I was pretty interested in Michigan State. I think that defense, I think Mel Tucker um, really has them playing well. And, and we know that they will always be ready for Ohio State. And they'll come with a plan and they will play tough uh, for all 60 minutes. And I, you know, I just didn't I didn't see it from the passing game against Indiana the way I expected to. Um, but they've got a really a good tailback. And uh, we've seen in other games for the Spartans that they can make some things play, happen with the passing attack. It didn't work against Indiana. Um, so we'll see on Saturday night how different that might be if you get to use Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, which I think might be a little bit different. Yeah, I was going to say the Detroit Free Press uh, providing real, real bulletin board material, not made up, uh, not made up bulletin board material, which we've also seen on the bulletin board a couple of times when we snuck in there in the last few years, you know, but, uh, I can actually real go ahead. Yeah. yeah I, I was just going to say, Tim, that I can actually promise guaranteed as we sit here right now that that 
story did make its way around the Woody Hayes Athletic Center sure. last week. Uh, I, can, I, have, I have verified that information with someone who would have been very interested to read that story and whose picture might have been used as the position coach of the best unit in the Big Ten. Yeah. Now, your sources weren't the same as that guy that they exposed over the weekend, were they? I mean, uh, from uh, I'm not going to get into that. You know what I'm talking about. But I digress. Anyone can guess who it might have been. But yeah, no, I'm, you know I'm messing with you anyway. Uh, I'm talking about the source that had to do with uh, uh, national security kind of situations. But I digress. I heard that a guy said that a guy said that a guy did this. Well, you know, it's on the internet. You know, of course that can get changed too, as you well know. The internet can get changed. <laughs> We've seen that happen, haven't we? Uh, but that's another story for another day. I'm not even really into being an ombudsman for other people. Uh, but uh, but I digress. Hey, real quick, let's get into my conversation here with uh, Demetrius Stanley. Found him, as usual, like when I covered him way back in the mid-'90s, quite engaging. You know, here's a guy that uh, uh, was a hell of a football player, overshadowed, you know, when he was there, maybe by Terry Glenn and then by David Boston, you know, and as far as just the headlines go, but uh, was a incredibly good – college football wide receiver you know it's funny I was thinking about he and his dad he and his dad were really really great college football players who just didn't have that little whatever that little difference it was to become big time NFL players you know or pro football players but when they were in college they were they were quite capable and uh his dad named Wayne Stanley uh as I as I remind uh Demetrius you know his dad basically saved the career for one of another way of putting it of Earl Bruce back at Iowa State way back when, when Iowa State was relevant, way back when. And uh, before Earl Bruce was named the head coach at Ohio State back in 1979. And uh, so in the mid-70s, yes, uh, Wayne Stanley came to the fore for Earl Bruce. But I digress again. Uh, bottom line is we talk about a lot of things, including that, including, uh, you know, this is a guy that ran for, uh, I think, city council one time in, in Columbus. He's also a young man who's battled uh, young, he's 47, but he's battled cancer here recently. Got some help from Buckeye Nation and others because, you know, cancer bills, man, they just keep coming like waves from the ocean. And he found that out. And uh, uh, but he's eternally grateful for the help he's he's gotten in that regard. But he's very insightful. I'm not sure I agree with everything he has to say about the Ohio State offense, the Ohio State receivers. Uh, but it's his it's his right to to have his opinions. And uh you know, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Demetrius Stanley. Oh, my goodness, I'm looking over the middle. Who do I see? Demetrius Stanley breaking wide open. Demetrius, here's my pass. Demetrius Stanley, uh, welcome yeah. to the Tim May podcast, man. First time, hope it's not the last time. I mean, uh, I can't believe I haven't had you on here as many of these as I've done. But uh, uh, I always say, anybody comes on here is one of my favorites. But you're one of those guys, man. I mean <laughs> – I've had probably 500 favorite guys I've covered at Ohio State, but uh, you're one of my favorites only because you made your own road there to a certain extent. You played big in the big games, and uh, now here you are. You're getting your uh, shot on the Tim May podcast. How's that feel? Yeah, it feels wonderful. Yeah, I've always followed you, always loved your work. So, and we go back, goodness, 20 something years. So, you know, yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing me on. Almost th- we go back thirty years now. And I'm thinking about it. I mean, you're on that downhill slide toward fifty right now, aren't you? Forty-seven this past September, my friend. Yeah, they move fast after that, man. It's got to pick up steam like a like a snowball. But uh, oh, I digress. Of course, your dad's one of my favorite people of all time too, Wayne Stanley, the guy who uh, single handedly saved Earl Bruce's 
career at Iowa State and uh, and uh, whatever. We'll get into that maybe in a little while. But you know I've got you on, man. I prepped you with this. Saw you at our uh, 97.1 The Fan tailgate show before that uh, game with Maryland a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, who can't who who could mistake your smile for anybody other than Demetrius Stanley? But uh, I wanted to get your input, man. We're seeing a fleet of receivers at Ohio State like few I've ever seen. And I say that knowing that, uh, you know, in 1996, you were on a team with David Boston and Dee Miller and that group. Uh, so maybe I am speaking a little bit out of turn, but this is a special group, Chris Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, not to, not to mention Amiki Agbuka and uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, man. They have a, a – a... A lot of great receivers, and sometimes that can play against you. But so far, they've been able to distribute the ball well, get the ball to the appropriate um, player. And Jigba, um, Smith is Smith and Jigba, he seems to be coming on. He seems to be one of uh, Stroud's guys. I'm starting to notice that. Um, and I don't know if it's people are, you know, checking out Chris Olave more and then Garrett Wilson more. But uh, Smith and Jigma, he seems to be the guy that C.J. Stroud is starting to like a lot. So, yeah, it, it's good in in many ways to have such talent, but sometimes it, it could be it could be a very interesting thing in how you distribute the ball. But they seem to be doing it very well right now. Yeah, I want to talk about that, man, because Chris Olave, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably met him. If you haven't, you will soon, I'm sure. But uh, uh, this this guy is just so interesting to me in all kinds of ways. Number one of which has been his unselfish approach. He could have gone out for the draft last year and yeah. been drafted probably in the first round, definitely second round, uh, you know, and uh, that's the leader of that room. You know, I had Dane Sonsenbacher on talking about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, when the leader of your room kind of sets that tone, that, that almost unselfish nature uh, approach, that the only thing that matters to him is winning the game, it does a lot for the room, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. But I think in in Olave's mind, and I'm just thinking as a receiver, knowing, watching his career um, unfold in front of us, he just he knows who he is. He understands what he is. He knows that where he wants to go, people know what he can do. He's had a great opportunity to show the world. And so, you know, when you're mature and he seems to be a very mature football player in his understanding of the game and the way he plays it. I just think it comes naturally to him because he's had the opportunity to show what he can do. And sometimes when you're in that position, you know, you don't want to do too much in the first place, but because now, you know, I showed what I can do. I still want to play ball and, and be one of the greatest at Ohio state, but at the same time, I don't want to get injured. I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder my opportunity of going to the next level. And I, it just seems like he's real comfortable in the role that he's playing right now. And I think he knows where he's going to be next year. He knows he has the, the attention that he needs. So I think it's easy for him to step back. Um, CJ Stroud, new guy, different guy. Like I said, he seems to be um, liking Smith and Jigba a little bit because yeah. he's getting the ball a lot. And, and then Jigba, Smith and Jigba is making the plays with the ball. So I just think Olave is comfortable in the position that he's in and where he's at right now. And I think that helps a lot when it comes to being unselfish. He knows that he's gotten his. He knows that he has an opportunity past this. So I, I think that that plays a lot in it. But I'm just guessing on that just by the way he is. He carries himself on the sideline. You don't ever see him like upset that he's not getting the ball or at least the camera doesn't show it. 
So he's just comfortable where he's at, man. I think he feels good about, about that position. I'd be comfortable where I was at, too, if I was him. I mean, just from, like you said, he's already got it on tape. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got, he has gotten everything that he needs to get to where he wants to be. So, you yeah. know what? Spread the love. And the more, you know, other players are getting the ball, especially, that may open the, the end of the season up for him. You oh, know, because yeah. now they're like, I can't, we can't target Olave. We got, these two guys, and then maybe he'll come on stronger in the season because finally now they've taken the attention off of him because I guarantee you these first few games, teams are looking at Chris Olave and saying, hey, we got to stop Chris Olave. And, I, and I'm figuring that's why some of the other guys are more open, but eventually teams are going to have to balance that out, and then that's when Olave comes alive, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, he, he did have 12 catches in one game this year, but then he had zero in another because uh, right. that team just said, you're not throwing it to him, you know what right. I mean? But but, dude, Garrett Wilson, explain to people from a receiver standpoint, a former stellar receiver standpoint, which was you. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. get into the, the Rose Bowl in a minute. Uh, but uh, explain to people, when you watch this guy play, what comes to mind? I mean, I don't know if you need to compare him to somebody, but Garrett Wilson, you know, the way he can just leap into the air out of nowhere, he just he just exudes, as I say, athletic ability. But what – what, what comes to your mind when I say Garrett Wilson? Well, the, the style of play and go, being able to go up and get the ball, he reminds me a lot of Terry Glenn. Yeah. Um, Terry Glenn was one of the most – and if anybody asks me, and people are shocked when I say this, if anybody ever asks me who's the greatest receiver to go through Ohio State, the Ohio State University, I always say Terry Glenn because Terry had speed. He could um, run with the ball after the catch. The kid can jump to the moon to catch the ball. He could dive to catch and he caught everything. And it's very rare that you get all of that in one package. And right now I'm seeing that type of player in Garrett Wilson. He'll every now and then he'll drop one on you, but he will go up and make some magnificent plays. He's fast. And I think he's more of a, he's, he's more of a a ball carrier than Terry was, but, uh, I see a lot of that in him and his build and the way he plays the game. I see a lot of Terry in him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, that, that, that you're, you're exactly correct, man. And what just came to my mind, I got goosebumps. I'm thinking about that picture. I think we ran it in our paper when I was with the dispatch a long time ago, uh, but uh, of him jumping to catch a ball at Penn state and Joe Paterno's looking up at him, you know, on the sideline, mm-hmm. like <laughs> his feet are almost as high as Joe Paterno's head. And I'm yep. just going, if there's ever a picture that captured a young man and his ability, it's that, it's that guy. And I, and I remind people, you know, he originally was a walk-on at Ohio state, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there, boy, there've been, you know, people have gotten to watch Ohio state have been blessed by seeing the great receivers come through there. Somebody threw at me the other day, Paul Warfield, but I think Paul Warfield pretty much played running back when he was there. Cause they yeah. hardly ever threw the ball back in the early sixties, you know, but uh, right. you know, from, from the, from the middle of the, uh, 70s on, I mean, they had some great receivers go through there. I still say Chris Carter's the best I ever saw as a total package only because he could do whatever he needed him to do at, at, at the drop of a hat, whether it was outrun somebody, wasn't the fastest guy on the field, but he was sometimes, you know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, well, I mean it probably depends on, oh, you yeah. know, a lot of people never got to see Chris Carter that, you know, are watching these guys today or got to watch Terry Glenn. Yeah. So I, I 
and I and it could be a toss up. You could have Joey Galloway. You could have Terry. Oh, yeah. Nixon, you could have Chris Carter. You could have Dave Boston. You could have D. Miller. I mean, you could just throw it up in the air and everybody. One of those guys was somebody's favorite. Right. Yes. Um, and, and, and they earn and all of they all of them earned that. But, you know, for me, just understanding the game that I, I understand and seeing some of the plays that Terry did. And this all happened in one year. You know, it wasn't like he played all these years and did all this. He came in in one year and had the most fantastic season of any wide receiver that I ever saw enough to make him one of the highest picks at, in the NFL draft. Yes. And coming from a I mean, now he was a preferred walk on. Yes. But yet still a walk on. And so I, I you know, so when I look at Garrett Wilson and I was just watching, a, I saw a picture of him the other day and I, I don't remember who it was against, but Garrett Wilson's waist and his thighs were up by this db's head and i'm like that that that's what reminded me of terry glenn and so yeah so you you could look at any across the board over the last three or four decades at ohio state and i'm sure everybody has one of those guys as their all-time favorite that they think were the were the all-time best you know oh yeah you, you you're, you're exactly right. one yeah you're exactly right i mean uh you know uh ten uh Terry Glenn, a little hitch he ran against Notre Dame and turned it up and went the distance. I mean, that you talk was about moment. setting Ohio Stadium on fire. That was and that was the moment for me. That yeah. play was the moment when I said, this dude is probably the realest dude I like. And, and I love his style of play. Yeah. And the thing about Terry that a lot of people didn't understand was his mentality. His mentality was so raw. It was so raw. Yeah. And he didn't have the training as a wide receiver. He had no he had no real. He was a raw football player that came in and did it at one of the highest levels for one year than I've ever seen in the game of football. And that Notre Dame play was the moment that put Terry at the top for me because, see, Chris Carter couldn't do that. Yeah, that's because the guy Rossum that he outran was the 60 meter Big Ten 60 meter um, champion in track. Yeah. And Terry went from a dead stop, broke out and blew him all away. See, that's something like Joey could do that, but I don't think Chris Carter could do something Chris, like that. So that I, watched Chris, I watched Chris Carter do that exact thing, by the way, but this was at Iowa one year. And uh, uh -huh. and it was a play nobody thought he could do, but he did. He caught a little hitch, turned, and went right up the sideline, right sideline. But, mm -hmm. but Terry Glenn could do that at the snap of a drop of a hat. You know, and, and what, what the image I also had was him laying out for that pass in the Metrodome. Remember the Metrodome? Yep. I mean, yeah, that place should have been outlawed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he hurt himself. And then yeah. he was never quite the same, you know, those last couple of games, especially against Michigan, which really yeah. hurt you guys, you know, uh, in 95. And, uh, and, of course, you know, 96, we'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, he is benefiting, like you said, from the attention the other two guys are getting. But right. in his own way, he is special too, right? I mean – he, uh, I keep using this word smooth for a couple of these guys, but he is so smooth in the way he catches the ball, the way he turns and runs. He has yeah. deceptive. I think he's everybody knows he's fast, but he's deceptively fast. So just what's your take on him, man? I, I love him because he he's like me. You can tell he, yeah. when he catching the ball is one thing, but he wants to get those yak yards, yeah. yards after the catch. And for me, when I look at a receiver, that's one of the things that's one of the top things that I look at. And I love that about him. And then he can catch the ball, make the appropriate moves, get to the open spaces and make plays. And that's why I really like him a lot. And that's what's that's what's caught my attention 
with him, not not the way he catches, but he catches and then he gets those yak yards. And I love that. Yeah. Hey, just think about it. Mika Agbuka, that number 12, you know, the kid who had the big kickoff return the other day and stuff has also had some good catches. Uh, hadn't gotten to play. You know, just think if he'd gone to another school, you know, this guy was considered maybe the top receiver prospect in the country for uh, for 2021, uh, you know, recruiting class. If he'd gone to another school, he'd be starting there probably. Same thing right. with Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, it's that's when I talk about the depth of that room. I'm looking at the guys who haven't even played much, you know, and uh, and right. because, like I said, y'all's room, man, in 96, that was a pretty decent wide receiver room. Agreed? Yeah. Oh, I I think it was one of the best, but that's just my personal opinion. But, yeah. you know, one thing and then but here's here's one thing that I've noticed and, and it, it was happening in the first few games. And I think that's why we didn't look as good as we're looking now is we have so much talent on the outside. We tried to be gunslingers the first few games instead of getting the ball, a solid run game going. Um, and I think Henderson should be first and foremost, the foundation of our offense. And yeah. I think having so much talent on the outside, it may, you know, it gets your eyes big and makes you want to take advantage of that. But we seem to, in the last couple of games, to bring it back down a notch and give it to Henderson, Let because I love that kid. I love the way he runs the ball. And it seems to open up so much more. And ever since they started getting him the ball appropriately and how I think he deserves now everything's opening up and we're scoring points. You know, we're putting a lot of points on the board. The first few games, we got away from that. And I think that's why it looked like we struggled so much. So, you know, I, I love the idea that we have such great talent on the outside, but sometimes you can get greedy and try to just continue to take advantage of that when you, when it should be the other way around. And it seems like we've come full circle to that, I think. Yeah. Plus that offensive line is rocking and rolling, man. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, that – that's up there with any great offensive line I've covered at Ohio State, and there have been some really good ones, even when you were there. You know, I keep I, – I, I remember joking with Eddie George, you know, if Corey Stringer hadn't left for the NFL after the 94 season, he'd have had Orlando Pace on one end and Corey Stringer on the other end blocking. He might have had 3,000 yards and nobody would even coming close to his records. But, right. I mean, right. I mean, but this is a pretty good collection of offensive linemen. I, I think you agree with me on that, don't you, this, this year? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I absolutely do. I, I think they struggled a lot in the beginning um, just because we, we seem to be so one dimensional with the passing game. And, you know, when when teams start to understand that you're going to pass a lot, that's easy. You know, that's easy to play defense against. But then when you all of a sudden start running the ball, because the offensive line looked very weak in the beginning, in my personal opinion. I mean, not weak, but they didn't look like an elite offensive line. But when you see what we were doing and we're just dropping a quarterback that back in the pocket, he doesn't really have the running ability that we're used to at Ohio State. I think teams could pin their ears back and just go and get him and force him into some bad throws and get upfield. But now that they have to prepare for Henderson and they see him, I think that opens everything, everything up for C.J. Stroud and it's going to open things up for the receivers. So I, they've definitely come a long way in, the fir- in these uh, last couple games. I'll tell you that. Yeah, talk to me about C.J. Stroud, though, uh, what you've seen these – he got – he took – you know, they gave him that week off, you know, going into the Akron game. He didn't throw the football at all because clearly there was something hitching his get-along as far as his throwing shoulder, you know, his right shoulder – his throwing shoulder, his right shoulder. Uh, he's come back. He's looked – he's looked like a different player to me against Rutgers and against Maryland just in maybe just his – I always thought he was pretty smooth and cool, but just in his approach, he looks so 
more on, I, I keep using this term, but I think it's on accurate, more on point. You know what I mean? I mean, his passes are more on point. He's even run the ball a few times just to throw that out there, <laughs> so to yeah. speak. But well, well, from your from your from your cultured observation or perspective, well, what what's impressed you about him recently? Well, um, I, let me start from the beginning. In the beginning, um, it's his first time starting the first few games, and yeah. even the Oregon game. I think we put a lot, a lot on his shoulders. And we barely run, we barely ran the ball, which when you're a quarterback and you're barely running the ball, that puts all the focus on you. Um, he just, he seemed very young in the beginning. Um, it seems like he's matured a lot. Like you said, over the uh, the, the last, um, last few weeks or so, he's matured. Something has calmed him down. Um, he has a tendency to throw the ball high, um, but that's kind of gone away now recently. Um, yeah. And I, I just think now he's, He's comfortable. And, and I watched him um, after the Oregon game. I watched him run off the field and I, I saw the camera, you know, it, it kind of pan in on his face and the disappointment and, and just the I think he learned and he grew from that moment. And it, he had a look on his face to say, I'm never letting that happen again. Yeah. And I think a lot of that made him grow up quick because. When you're at Ohio State, you're just losing. Just it's not a thing, right? And you're not yeah. used to that. And then as a quarterback, I felt like he felt that internally, and that is what drove him to become what he's become over the last few weeks. And I, I like the kid. A lot of people were hard on him. I don't see why. I mean, he's thrown for 400 yards, 500 yards, um, and yeah. I mean, it's just Ohio State fans. We know you make a mistake, they get down on you. It just happens. But I, I think the kid is he's the guy uh, he he deserves to be in that starting position. Everybody. Oh, he's they're sitting him down and, you know, they're going to play McCord. And I'm like, man, that that means nothing. The kid has earned his spot on the field and he's going to be the starting quarterback. And I, I think he's going to be a hell of a quarterback. And especially if they keep it balanced with Henderson and him making plays. Yeah, we yeah, the, the sky's the limit at that point. I was going to say he threw for 484 yards against Oregon and was extreme and was disappointed because number one, they lost the game. And right. number two, you know, the offense got the ball back. He's bad as the defense was playing that day. They did get the ball back for him with a couple of chances yeah. to even tie or maybe win the game. And, uh, and then the offense and it wasn't all, it wasn't all CJ Stroud's fault by any stretch, but the offense no. couldn't get it done, you know, as well as it had played at times in that game. And like you said, you know, that first, that, First touchdown by Oregon in the second half when the kid went the distance, made it a 14-point game. And I, I I keep saying Ryan Day, I'm sure, was determined to come out and run the ball in the mm -hmm. second half. But all of a sudden, you're down two touchdowns. It, like you just pointed out, it threw your whole thinking out, you know, your whole game plan out. And they they started winging it and uh, got into a throwing fest. And that's what it is. But uh, and, that, and that's where – and there was – and I can't remember if it, we were going to the north. I feel like we were going to the north end we were inside the 10 yard line and it was like a fourth and two and we threw a pass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and at that moment, it told me like, we're, we're not in, we're not connected. We're not, something's missing here. Um, but we tried to do a complete West coast wide open offense um, against a team who actually does West coast offense all the time yeah and a very experienced quarterback I think he had transferred in from Boston College I think yeah. it was and he uh and he was very experienced he was poised 
He his you could tell the team followed him. And we tried to go back and forth with that. And CJ wasn't ready for that. I don't think we were ready for that. And every time we played Oregon in the past, we would always run it down their throat because naturally they recruit a little bit smaller because and faster because they they play wide open ball all the time. And so what we would do is we'd run it down, press on them, press on them, press on them. And then they'd play a run around with us for a while. And then about middle of the third to fourth quarter, that's when they got tired. And that's when we started to take over the game. Well, we came out from the get go and tried to sling it the whole time. And I think Oregon was good enough and had enough talent to take advantage of that. And then the defense wasn't, you know, they weren't doing what they were, what we think they're capable of during that game. They were able to take advantage of some of the stuff, great play calling. I feel like that game specifically, um, the coaching lost that game because we both, we had the talent, we were down and we were still competing, but there was some play calling that I did, you know, when they had the uh, little, the run over on the left side, I mean, had what three touchdowns off of that play yeah. and we're down inside the 10 yard line in the red zone. We're at a fourth and two and we have Henderson in the backfield and yet we throw a pass. Right. And yeah. then we don't complete it. We turn the ball over. So it just, there was a lot of that, but I think that game is where, where CJ Stroud made a decision and it's matured him pretty quick because to lose in the horseshoe, especially at home, Early in the season, man, that that has to hurt your heart so bad. So, yeah, yeah he's come a long way. I, I think he's earned he's earned that position. Wow, good stuff, Demetrius. Let's let's talk about losing in the horseshoe. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, yeah. Joking, we don't want that juju but, out there. <laughs> but I want you exactly. But I want to tell you something, man. That '96 team reminds me a lot of this. You know, there are a lot of parallels you can draw to different teams. But you guys had lost Eddie George. You lost Bobby Hoying. You know, Ricky Dudley. Uh, uh, Terry Glenn, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of line. You still had Orlando Pace back, still the best offensive lineman I've ever seen, uh, right. and especially in college football. But right on down the line, you re- revamped defense to a certain extent, uh, in the secondary especially. And all of a sudden in 96, you guys are sitting there, in my opinion, the best team in the country going into that last regular season game, of course, against Michigan. And John yeah. Cooper, y'all had brand new starting quarterback in Stanley Jackson, but then you played Joe Germain some too. Uh, yeah. Just will you ever get over? Will you ever get over that loss? And then we'll talk no. about redemption no. And, no. and five weeks later. But but will you ever get over that loss and the significance of it in the pre-playoff era? Well, not never, never in my life. One. You know, out of the four, I only got one pair of gold pants. So that stings as it is. Yeah. Then we're we have a national championship on the line and we lose to a team that shouldn't have even been on the field with us. Yeah. So the Michigan thing really stings me. And then that especially. And I, I'll tell you a story. So we went into, um, you know, we have practice on Sundays after the game. Um, and I remember. And it was either Sunday or Monday. We went in the locker room and you go in the locker room and everybody converges to the um, the dry race board in the middle because there's the depth charts. Right. So I remember going in there and we went to look at the board to see a depth chart. It was I, I was pretty sure I had my spot, but you just want to see what it all looks like. Yeah. And I remember I'll never forget this. We went in and looked at the board and it said Joe Germain as the starter. Yeah. And at that moment you started hearing rumbles, you you whispering, you know, and as good as Joe Germain is and was, 
that was the worst time you could ever change a starting quarterback. One, we were 10 and 0 with Stanley Jackson starting. Regardless yeah. of how you want to, if you wanted to start him and then bring Joe in immediately, whatever. That it was the moment. I was I went home and I told my mom, my parents, I said, and I sat on the chair in the chair and they were sitting on the couch. I said, we're gonna lose this game. They said, you can't talk like that. You you gotta be positive. I said, I, I, I know what just happened. And I don't think a lot of people understand it, but see, we were all emotionally connected to Stanley Jackson because we came in together. Yeah. And I love Joe Jermaine. Joe Jermaine made me look good on, on many occasions, but it was the energy that happened at that moment. And you don't take a quarterback who hasn't started and start him in a national championship implication team or game. Yeah. And there was some, there was some passes. Like there was a play. I ran a hook, fake hook route. And I ran to the corner. Um, the DB falls down. Woodson falls down. I'm standing wide open. Now, Joe Germain goes back, but he's got hot feet because he's in this high pressure game for the first time, you know, starting in, in the first time in his uh, career at Ohio State. And he just throws the ball backside and misses Dave Boston. I don't blame him for that. I blame yeah. the coaches for putting him in that position because and it turned out for that in that game, Stanley Jackson's ability was exactly what we needed. Yeah, we hit what we needed because the pass game wasn't working very well in the beginning of the game. But one, you're putting Joe Jermaine under this this pressure. It's his first time starting. Michigan's coming. They're going to give us everything they got. And I and, and so, you know, that's when I knew things were going to go wrong in that game when they started Joe Jermaine over Stanley Jackson. And I'll never and I'll tell you this, I, I, I couldn't believe it, but I'd been talking about that for 20 years. Yeah. When Cooper came out and said that was one of the biggest mistakes of his career, I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm so glad he said that because yeah. I thought that was a bad decision. I looked, Coop knew what he was doing. He was a great delegator. But that one moment, I think, defines his career. And that was his national championship opportunity right there. Dude, do you know if Twitter had been around that year or social media had been around, though, the – the fire, the 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 uh, wildfire that had been going on for Joe Germain to be the starter uh, as that season went on, because people and I do, I had Joe Germain on my podcast back in the summer. He's one of my favorite people ever too. Me Just too. you know, you know Joe, he's one of the yeah. great guys you're ever going to meet. Solo key, et cetera, great guy, great quarterback. But the fire that was going on then. By, by the uh, by the public and, and the fans, they wanted Joe Germain to be the starter, if you remember, like uh, middle of the year on because, you know, he was, in their minds, can, perceived as the better passer, you know, and that lit everybody up. You had these great receivers out there and stuff. And, you know, you remember those games earlier that year, man. You guys just tore people up. <laughs> and well, uh, It's easier. It's much easier to come off the bench and be yeah. a great quarterback, right, because there's no pressure on you. Well, no, you know? that's not only that, Demetrius, but that's what I wanted to make people understand. Stanley Jackson started every game that year, and then I think he started the Rose Bowl, if I remember correctly, correct? Yeah. And, you know, and produced in that game. But but the point was, you like you just pointed out a minute ago, without it messed up the chemistry that you guys – there was something special there. You had this one guy, and then all of a sudden it's like bringing in a relief pitcher who's throwing yeah. a different pitch than the other guy. And it threw people off all year, yeah, you know, and uh, and instead you guys get three field goals in the first half instead of touchdowns. And right. uh, 
and don't score in the second half and 13 to nine. But go ahead. I mean, well, not, and see, I want to make people understand it. Maybe, you know, don't look past 2015, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it, it, Stan was, he was, he, there was an emotional attachment to him. And that's where, that's what I think um, the coaches discounted. You know, there, and, and I talked to Stanley about this, and he said he saw something like that coming at some point. He saw that. But I think everybody discounted that the team that was on that field was emotionally connected to Stan. They discounted that aspect of it. And that's the part. That's why the, I believe they truly made that decision because we're 10 and 0 with Stanley Jackson as our starting quarterback, right? Yes. And you go to the Michigan game. So we were having a hard, we'd get down in the red zone. But then we were having a, a, a tough time completing. Yeah. Well, that's where Stanley Jackson comes in, makes some plays with his feet, gets the team up, get excited, get some first downs with his feet. Then that opens up a whole bunch of other stuff because now, you know, the defensive backs have to now look to see, make sure he's not running. Then when they're doing that, now we can be doing our routes and things like that. I just think, you know, that whole thing, it's easy to be a, a great quarterback coming off the bench. There's no pressure on you. You just walk in there. Nobody expects you to do anything like amazing. You know what I'm saying? Because it's you're a second three. Yeah. But, but then when, once that, once you're now that starter, that's a whole different ball game mentally. And I just think a lot of that stuff played into, uh, into that game and, the coaches discounted a, a lot of the mental and the psychological aspect of what that decision was going to do in the time frame that they did it. You guys bounce back. You win the Rose Bowl, you know, 19, oh, yeah. Arizona State. Um, you know, a really good Arizona State team with Jake the Snake Plumber. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, really good defensive players. Uh, uh don't spend a lot of time on this, but but just tell me, what do you remember? Because obviously Stanley started that game, had a really good touchdown pass uh, in the first half in that game over to the side, you know, over the over the sideline right. and stuff to the to the corner and stuff. But to, what do you remember as that game went on? What do what do you what what just stands out most about it? The the comeback or the you know the the drive? Obviously, you can't forget the drive, you know. But uh, the way y'all started was that the start of the second half when. Uh, Joe hits you down the middle on that post yeah. route, but go ahead now. Well, yeah, I that there there's a story behind that as well that a lot of people don't know. And so the all year we ran in on third downs, we ran either a 12-yard hook in, we ran a 10-yard out or a 15-yard out, right? On yeah. third down. We did that all year. So the entire first half, they they were sitting on our outside short routes. They were sitting on it. And I kept telling the coaches, I said, coach, throw me the ball across the middle. I'll score. Throw me the ball across the middle. I told Hollis. I told Coop. I told um, my, my position coach. Yeah. And I kept telling them. I kept telling them. But they didn't listen to me. And so finally we go in at halftime. And, you know, we're kind of struggling on the field. And I said, I, and Coach Harris comes down. And I said, Coach Harris, they're sitting. They're playing our outside routes on third down." throw me the ball across the middle and I'll score. So we come out third quarter. They throw me a dig route in the middle. I catch it for a first down. Second play, I line up on the short side of the field and I run a post route across the middle. I catch it and I score yeah. 72 yards, right? Yeah. yeah. And I go to the sideline and the phone rings and it's Coach Harris says, congratulations, you just called your first touchdown. <laughs> Believe it or not, we, we never did it again. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I know. And, and, and hey, they're gonna be waiting for it the next time. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, well, I mean, they were waiting everything. They were they were sitting because they knew they yeah. obviously did a lot of great film um, research and they knew what we we're gonna do. But that's one of the moments that stands out for me personally. Um, but it it was just the calm in that last drive and the huddle. It and it didn't seem like we only had a night or a minute nineteen. I think it was left to score a touchdown. It was almost like it, we're still in the game. Joe was calm. Everybody was like, all right, fellas, let's go do this. Went out there and we did our thing, you know, and yep. that's what, and, and it was just the connection of the team and the understanding. There was not a lot of rah-rah screaming in the huddle. It was just get in there and let's make some plays. And I'll never forget that. Yeah. What I'll never forget also, we talked about this the other day when you dropped by the, the uh, tailgate set uh, was they were holding you guys all night. Uh, you were, you, all night. you receivers, I mean, grabbing you whatever it took, and no flags were being thrown. And then suddenly on that last drive, I think you did. You drew – did you draw two pass got, interference calls? Yeah, yeah, I got two pass interference and three first, uh, first down – yeah. three third down, first down catches. Exactly. Other than that, yeah. you didn't do much, right? No, I'm just joking. Right, right. And then, of course, on the play that everyone, you know, as history books say, it doesn't matter if you don't score the touchdown, you know. Joe looks up, hits – David Boston's wide open in the right on the right out there, but you were wide open. You had a little like uh, I want to call it a little lazy post or whatever, you know, right into the. Oh, I think well, in the, the middle. Of, I mean, either one of you guys could have scored the winning touchdown. Go ahead. Well, the interesting part about that is, is I think by that point they were focused on me. So yeah. I had I was in the slot. Dave was on the outside. Yeah, and ran out and I ran inside kept the defense at the safety in and I kind of curled outside because I had to sit I was sitting down in the hole because they were shutting it off on the inside well the defense the corner was he was trying to play me going to the corner and then Dave ran a little in and back out route and they literally just left him standing there so I think you know with all the catches and everything I was doing they just had they tried they more focused on me because you could watch the defensive back and it was number 23. He goes in with Dave, but then all of a sudden he backs up in a hurry. And I think because he wanted to protect the corner route. And then that just left Dave wide open in the flat, throws it to Dave, Dave scored, yeah. game over. But I yeah. swear, I've watched video of that a million times too. I swear, Joe could have thrown it to you too because you, were, you weren't exactly tightly covered on that play either. But, no. but you know, no. you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a running back who takes the ball down to the five yard line and then they send the fullback in to get the touchdown. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. why I kind of felt for you a little bit now. But, but dude, you remember the euphoria you guys felt after that win. That's what I wanted to touch on. Modern football now, if you don't make the playoffs, your season has been, at least at Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, you know, some of these big-time programs now, your season's almost looked at in some respects as, you know, mediocre and or a failure, even though you've had a – yeah. You guys want that was the almost the last last gasp for what traditional football was all about was win the Big Ten, go to the Rose Bowl, win the Rose Bowl, which is what y'all did. You know, despite the loss to Michigan, which was, you know, y'all will replay the rest of your lives. But but uh, you felt pretty damn good after that game, didn't you? Oh, absolutely, because it, it was redemption. You lost yeah. three games of your four to Michigan. You lose to Michigan when you have national championship implications. Yeah. Now you have, but at least you're ending it with the Rose Bowl. And it was that moment that you could redeem, you know, that loss to Michigan. Um, and when we did that, that just kind of wiped the Michigan deal away. I think that got Coop some more years on his contract. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just I think there was a euphoria about that win because, you know, at that point, that was the ultimate of the Big Ten. That was the ultimate game to play in. And I, quite honestly, I like that concept because you have 11 games to prove your point. Right. And, you know, you one loss may keep you out. Yeah. I, and then you have the bowl games to kind of work everything out and determine it. Now you have the playoffs. Well, the team, the lesser team of the two can come in, hit a hot streak and boom, win the, win the championship. I don't like that concept. I like you got, and, and that's why I liked it the way we played the games. And I loved that the Rose bowl was the ultimate. Now, when you watch the Rose bowl, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same, doesn't have the same meaning. And, you know, they used to call it the granddaddy of them all. That's all gone now. And I know things change over time, but I think they're doing a disservice to college football by doing the playoff system, because now you're getting into doing the same thing the NFL is doing. And it was great that you separated the two. And I I like that, but now all we're becoming is a um, amateur league professional football league. And I think that takes away from, that's why fans, you know, they don't get as excited all the whole game or all year because you, you don't make the playoffs, then it's like they don't care. Well, when you're playing and the way we played it and the way that it was set up, the way we played, it was like excitement every week because you knew if you lost one game, you're pretty much out of it. You don't have a chance to make that back up. And I love that. I love that feeling. I was going to say, man, you guys beat Notre Dame two years in a row. Y'all hadn't played since the mid-30s. Y'all yep. set the record, you, even the record with those guys. You win the Rose Bowl and stuff. You played with the Heisman Trophy winner, you know, and Eddie George. Uh, it, that was a pretty good stay at Ohio State for you, wasn't it? No, man, it was. It, it is a blessing that still gives to me today, my friend. Yeah. And, you know, the one great thing about it is, is like through my life, you know, you don't know the people that remember you, but, you know, you don't, you feel like they didn't really appreciate you much when you were there, but the appreciation I've gotten over the last 20, 25 years, because one, you know, the Big Ten Network has come around and you have the, um, we did the, it was the Elite, uh, I think it was the Elite something show they did on the Big Ten and they covered the 96 team and people are getting a chance to like really see like, oh my God, Demetrius was really doing a lot of good stuff out there on the field and, you know, all the big names got all the attention and the little guy like me who's making the big plays, they don't notice because I don't have the big name and I've got, I've got, that is given back to me for 25 years of my life. I get speeches from what I did back then. You know, people want to still get my autograph. They still want to talk to me about it. So it's playing at Ohio State is, was the greatest decision I made, I've ever made in my life, I'll tell you. Hey, I'll tell you what, man. You know, and, and some people know this, maybe some don't. You've had a little battle, you know, going on with prostate cancer. Uh, was diagnosed a couple of years ago and you know, I think it was a GoFundMe page that started uh, last year because uh, and uh, really helped you out in some tough times. I mean, because like you said, you know, you don't know the half of it when you get a serious illness. A lot of people don't about the bills that just keep coming in, even though you have health insurance. You know, yep. that sometimes doesn't even cover half of it. But uh, you you've been blessed in that regard too. of finding out people do care about you. Right. Yeah, man. People, you know, people raised seventy five thousand dollars for me and my family. And I'm, I I can I can't even say thank you enough for that, because it's it's helped tremendously with the bills and taking the pressure off because they, it, you know, insurance covers a portion. But when yeah. you're when you have a disease like cancer, the type of things you have to do are, you know, it could be sixty thousand dollars and they pay a 
percentage of that and you still are responsible for the other percentage of that and and it adds up quickly so the community stepped up and and like I said because I played at Ohio State and people knew me from that and they appreciated me they stepped up so you know Ohio State keeps giving to me man and I I think this community and that's why I love this community that's why I didn't move away you know I I I did a couple times but I always came back because this is home man this is home hey Tyson Gentry stepped up and helped you I mean there's a guy that uh Talk about giving it your all, you know, walk-on receiver who was paralyzed in a in a uh, practice accident, and he's one of the guys that helped get that GoFundMe page going. But you know, it is, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You're, I mean, the brotherhood is real, isn't it? Yeah, man. It, it and it doesn't matter, you know, how long it's been. <laughs> it's like you never you never miss a step because you know you you go through at that time in your life you go through hell. And, but you you go through it because you love the sport, right? Yeah. And, you know, you saw people in their weakest moments. You saw people in their proudest moments. You saw people that go, went through family issues. You, I mean, you saw every, you saw the rawest of every human being in that locker room at some point. And when you see people in that, that sense, like there's always a connection because you know both of you went through the same thing at the same exact time and you pulled each other through. And one of the fortunate things about us is we won so much, right? Yeah. So that just makes it so much more um, powerful um, with going through all that and it all turning into a lot of success. And so it makes you happy when you see people again, like, you know, we just had the uh, 25th anniversary of the um, Rose Bowl, um and yeah you know and that moment when you see the guys it's like it's the same everybody starts cracking jokes on each other and I mean it just doesn't change man and so I think that's what it is you just go through so much I mean you gotta think we would lift weights we would go to class we would do conditioning and then we would run or practice all in a day right average human being would die but we did that regularly, willingly, you know, yeah. and, and then when you're doing conditioning in the summer with everybody and people throwing up, people falling out on the ground, people picking each other up. It's like, we got a couple more. Let's go. You know, man, there, there's there's nothing that can connect you better. Well, there's some things I can think that connect, but not a lot. That not can a connect lot. You better than that. Yeah, not a lot. Dude, you guys ought to get your little name, image and likeness thing going. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, I tell you what, I tell you what, man, I, you know, I, I, that I like the fact that they're doing that now, but I think they're doing it wrong. And that's just my personal opinion. And and what, in what respect? Just give me why do you think that? I don't. Well, one, I think there's something very important about being poor and learning how to survive in college. Because people think because we play football that we're living this, we're not living this extravagant life. Now you learn how to work and, you know, make a couple bucks here and there, but there's something to be said for that. Um, And the way I personally would do it, if I was the university, I would set up a trust. And when you get recruited, you come to Ohio State, you automatically get 250 bucks going into your trust. You, if you are Eddie George and you're getting Jersey sales, you get a certain percentage, you go do, I'd put it in a trust because I think handing kids a lot of money at that age, one drug addiction, alcoholism, you'll be broke by the end time you in, 
in leave college because you don't have any financial background. So you put it in this trust. And when you leave, you get a, you get this money to go off and start your life. And, you know, a lot of times kids, families were poor, so they would have problems at home. So you set up a board and you go to the board and say, hey, I'd like to take out some money for A, B and C. My family's struggling. They determine they let you do that. Um, and they just they base it off of how much you give to the program. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think it's good to just hand young kids in that position a lot of money because that's only going to lead to one bad place. And the 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 worst is an addiction to that could lead to death or you just start out broke when you leave college. The idea to do it, in my personal opinion, is to make sure you don't leave college broke. I don't think they're looking at it in that sense. And then here's one for you. So you have uh, yours that comes from Texas, right? Yeah. He gets a million dollar deal, right? Yeah. He sits on the bench in third in the third um, third string. So now you have these people throwing money at this guy. Then you go in the locker room and people throwing money. They're going to expect some return on that money because I'm sure some of that money had something to do with him deciding to come to Ohio State. What kind of pressure is that going to start putting in the locker room to maybe get this guy out on the field? When you have a guy who's a stud like a CJ Stroud, I just think I think it's going to I'm glad they finally did it. I just think they're going about it the wrong way. Yeah, well, that's because, you know, the 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 schools and the NCAA never got around and the schools are the NCAA, by the way, never got around to figuring out how to to give people a decent stipend. You know what I mean? Because uh, and so what what happened here is now third parties are doing it. So they're (laughs) off the hook for that, at least for a while. You know what I mean? Of having to, quote, pay players to put money to a trust fund. I came up with that idea a long time ago. I said $5,000 a year, you know, minimum for each scholarship player. And, uh, you know, when if you, no, the number of years you stay there, the the thing grows, et cetera, you get that when you leave. And like you said, except maybe you need a hardship thing or something like that. But uh, that was like, I put that forth like 25, 30 years ago, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. could have avoided maybe a lot of the problems they've run, in, run into here recently, but uh, you're right. You know, the this is going to be, this coming spring is going to be an important spring for Ohio State football and a lot of other schools. You know why? Why is that? Because April 15th will be coming around. Uh-huh. You better you better have your tax returns in order. You know what I mean? When they say yeah. availability, uh, we get that availability list. You know, they never delineate why guys are missing from games, you know, but uh, yeah. could be tax problems for some, you know, if they don't take care of their knitting, correct? Right on. And that's the thing. You, there's so much. There's good that can come from it, but I think in the way it's being done, there's so much bad that can come from it. And I, I feel like it should be their responsibility to protect young these young men from those mistakes. And they're and they're not. And because here's the thing, you have players that go to the NFL or NFL or, you know, uh, NBA makes make one hundred million dollars over their tenure and yet still broke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things of setting up a trust would help them have to learn, okay, what is a trust? How does it work? How does it work with taxes? Because, you know, having a trust helps a lot with taxes. And I think doing that will educate them on the financial aspect of it, which is where I think they should spend more time now, which of course, they're probably not going to do that. Well, they, they, I, they, well, Ohio State's done a pretty good job of educating these guys. I mean, they they saw this coming, you know, but you're right. They're still neophytes, you know, I mean, these most of these players. But go ahead. You're right. Yeah, no, I just I just think they're I think they're doing it 
hastily because maybe pressure or whatever the case may be. Um, but they're not really going to give it the best chance to be as successful as it can be, because I think the amount of problems that are going to come by handing young men, 18, 19 year old young men who've never and a lot of them come from a poor um, background. And that's why they're so successful in football. And you're just going to start handing them money. Well, you're, you're just going to exacerbate the problems that they already have. And I just feel like they're, they're doing it hastily and not going about it the right way. Why would you give a guy who's coming to Ohio State a million dollar contract when he's not even on the field? And then what's that going to do when these guys are pouring his money in this kid? All of a sudden now he's not playing and then you now want the coaches to play him or the athletic director. Then they're, and then all of a sudden you maybe say, well, the kid's not playing, so we're not going to pull this from this. Like it just – yeah. It, it's it's just not done right. I, I think it's done hastily, and I don't know if it's going to end the best way for the players. Well, the thing, the, the problem, the reason it reached this point, I do believe the next couple of three years before it settles down, because if you're not getting a return from your investment. If your business is, you know, you got to show that you've backed this guy, this guy's going to help your bottom line, you know what I mean, down the road. I mean, right. you know, it's all got to settle out, but the problem is the NCAA just kept kicking it down the – kicking the can down the road till finally state governments stepped in and passed laws that gave these guys these rights. You know, the federal government still hasn't done that, but uh, that's what happened. You know, you were going to, if the NCAA hadn't uh, finally opened up in the late summer and pretty much said, okay, you can do this. Well, you're going to have some schools who are going to be able to do it and others that weren't, but depending on the states you were in. And uh, as you know, Ohio got an executive order from the, the governor, DeWine, to make it possible because all those other states were kicking in, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, right on down the line. And uh, you're right. I mean, they, it's it's kind of like a hurricane's coming, a hurricane's coming. Okay, I'm going to get in my car right now, right as it's coming to shore, and I'm going to try to get out of here. <laughs> you know, uh, too late. Yeah. Too late. The hurricane yeah. is hit. But uh, that's, that's, what it, that's what it looks like to me. That's uh, the feeling I'm getting at least. But I, I, I think – I think you could have worked out an NIL deal back in 96, 95, man. Uh, you got that personality going for you. Could be Easy. Good I could have done too. Trust you me, Orlando, I had plenty of opportunity. <laughs> yeah, you and, you and Orlando Pace could have had some kind of car deal or something. You know, he gets a big truck, right. you get a sports car. Yeah, trust me, I could have done that, but I, I didn't want to lose my career. So There you go. I do it. <laughs> Demetrius Stanley, man, uh, you know, appreciate you, my man, and, you know, Look for my email. I may be calling on you again shortly. But uh, okay. thanks for joining the Tim May podcast for the first time, but not the Absolutely. last time. All right, brother. Well, just let me know. So I always liked about Demetrius Stanley. He always had an opinion on things. Uh, awesome. And uh, it was great to have him on the Tim May podcast. I keep you know, kept talking to these guys. I mean, C. Grant's one of my favorite guys. I mean, Demetrius Stanley, all these guys, you know, they – they, they weren't afraid to give you their opinion. They're still not afraid to give you their opinion on things. And that's what make the world that's what makes the world go around, correct? And I think there's so much pride about uh, – this, this is true for other programs, of course, but yeah. Ohio State has won at such a high level. So many guys have been part of uh, building and maintaining both that, that rich tradition. And so they feel, um, you know, a certain way, a powerful way about it, want to see that continued. Uh, we know that for all the guys that – are regularly on Letterman Live or Weekend Kickoff or come on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, it comes for them. For them, it comes from a place of both knowledge and emotion, which is great. I mean, I think that's that speaks a lot um, when they're able to communicate that directly to the fans and people that supported them. I mean, they 
they have as, as powerful of uh, opinions as anybody. Uh, and it comes from a, a unique perspective. We say that every week, I guess, but it's certainly true. Yeah. You know, and uh, as I remind, as I keep reminding people, those mid nineties, you know, those mid nineties, Ohio state teams under John Cooper. Yeah. They didn't beat Michigan as often as they, as they would like, as I think Demetrius even said, he only has one pair of gold pants, but uh but the bottom line is they did get this team back into that national spotlight big time. They were in the running for the national championship from 95 through 98 in some form or fashion. 98, of course, being the first year the BCS came out, uh, BCS started, and uh, and Ohio State, of course, got upset by Michigan State that year and uh, Nick Saban and did make the first BCS national championship game. But you can still argue that might have been the best team in the country Uh but the bottom line is that that was the group that really got this ball rolling from like 94 till now. It's been Ohio State football has been on a different level, I do believe, even compared to other teams in the Big Ten. There was that little last gasp, you know, from Michigan, <laughs> uh, you know, 97 through about 2006 or seven, but then it fell off. And uh, Ohio State has really carried the Big Ten banner since then, hasn't it? Don't you agree? Um, unquestionably. I mean, there's just nobody that's close, honestly. I mean, Wisconsin has maybe shouldered a lot of the load on the West uh, and has certainly given Ohio State some games in that matchup a few times in Indianapolis. But, I mean – And Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan State a couple years. Yeah. They had one, you know, one title that they had some fortuitous circumstances that worked out for them. And, uh Hey, you can't take that away. They they put up that championship, and James Franklin has one. But yeah. you know, the, in terms of winning at a really high level and competing nationally, there's no, there is no second place here. I mean, it's Ohio State, and then the rest of the league uh, underneath them right now. Yeah, and like we talked about before, uh, my interview with Demetrius Stanley, that became even clearer. I think to folks who watched games over the weekend who maybe didn't get to study the Big Ten as much as you and I do, that in yeah. fact there is still just on paper and just in perception, that gap there between Ohio State and everybody else. Like you said, just when you're ready to think Michigan State is that team, you know, that's going to challenge them, the way Mel Tucker, complete makeover of that team. And when you look at the transfer portal and how you mind that for like 13, 14, 15 guys over the offseason and some JUCO guys, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, watching them against Indiana struggle against Indiana without a pick six, they don't win that game probably at Indiana. Uh, just watch him struggle offensively. See Kenneth Walker jr. Who had been ordained as a, maybe a Heisman front runner, or at least a one in top three, be held to 83 yards on 24 carries by that Indiana defense. You know, I put this forth on, on wall to wall sports the other night with my buddy, uh, Dom to that I think this Indiana defense to date is going to be the toughest defense Ohio State has faced thus far. And that's taking into account Oregon. You know, I keep reminding people, yeah, Oregon won 35 to 28, but Oregon gave up over 600 yards offense to Ohio State. You know, you can't you can't call that the best defense Ohio State has faced or will face. But uh, what you saw of Indiana over the weekend, would you agree with me on that? I think you're probably going to be right about that. Uh, I'm talking about up till now, you know. Up, yeah. Yeah. Minnesota was a, an interesting challenge, I think, for Ohio State uh, with a bunch of veteran players. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the, <laughs> that's the situation that we're talking about, to your point. Yeah. Those first six games, and really it's hard to see any defense that is going to have the capability of slowing down this Ohio State offense, but 
the thing that resonates with me about this Indiana defense is the way Tom Allen, I mean, he's got no conscience when it comes to blitzing and it will come from all angles. I think you wrote about it going into that game last year. Yeah. And, and Justin Fields, you know, it was a boomer bust situation. You look, they scored a lot of points and, and he picked them apart at times. And then he also forced some stuff or, or got a blitz that they weren't expecting and, and, and made a couple mistakes from that perspective. That's what really, you know, to me, the knowledge of what they may do, the fact that Ohio State will probably see, definitely C.J. Stroud will see some things that he hasn't before. I don't think that you line them all up, that Indiana, in terms of their personnel, is the most talented defense they'll face. Maybe, maybe it is for, for the first seven weeks. Uh, I don't know. But I think that they'll probably, with the way that they'll throw stuff at Stroud, with night game, all this other stuff, this, this is an opportunity to really learn a lot about C.J. Stroud um, and, and Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, the offensive line, that whole deal, because there's going to be challenges and new stuff that they haven't faced. And still, you know, because of what you said, you know, Maryland was not going to pose these problems. Rutgers uh, plays really hard, doesn't have anything anywhere near the personnel to do it. Akron, obviously not the same. So I think you're, you're probably onto something. I, you know, I, I don't know if you line them up on the, on the, on paper if I'd say Indiana's the best, but I know that the kind of challenge they'll bring is going to be one that Ohio State hasn't faced yet, in my opinion. Yeah, I just I, – and by the best, I'm not talking about the most talented. But I just like the way they play defense. I like the way yeah. they get after it. And, man, Michigan State's big uh, problem on Saturday, this past Saturday, but they escaped with a win. But, uh, you know, second and third and long, you know, against this – against a defense that likes to blitz like – Indiana does. That's where, you know, the way Indiana, the job it did on first and second downs, especially, was really telling in that game. And boy, when you get a team predictable and it's going to throw the ball, and then you can throw the kitchen sink at them. You just don't know which bathroom the sink is, or excuse me, the the uh, the bathroom sink at them. You just don't know which sink the bathroom's coming from in a uh, multi multiple. Why am I getting all screwed up on this analogy? Uh, awesome. That's what I'm worried about. But, uh, you know, you got a multi-bathroom uh, home. You don't know what sink is coming from. There we go. There it is. All right. But, and it still stunk, pardon the expression. But uh, that, that's where they – if they can get you in a predictable situation defensively, uh, they can really create havoc. And, you know, we talked about Chris Olave and uh, and and uh, uh, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Garrett Wilson at Al. But really it's going to come down to the offensive line, this veteran – Offensive line for Ohio State picking things up and uh, giving C.J. Stroud that time. But that's not to say that Ohio State can't line up and just run the ball down their throat, which I per- personally, that's what I expect Ohio State to try to do. Yeah. And look, teams have to pick before they play Ohio State. Yeah. We've seen this. I was talking to somebody else about this the other night and the way Ohio State's offense is progressing and, and how it looks and how they will play teams like the, th- the times that they've struggled and struggle, I, I put that maybe in, in air quotes here. They were too slow when Northwestern said, you know what? You're not, Justin Fields is not going to throw in this game. You're not going to beat us through the air. And it took them a half before they're like, oh, well, Northwestern wants Trey Sermon to run for a first down every time he touches it. Maybe we should take that. Yeah. And the same happened this year to some extent. Now, there were different. Uh, circumstances with C.J. Stroud's shoulder at that point. But Tulsa said, we're going to drop eight, and you're going to see some funky uh, pass coverages. We're going to not – they're not going to let Ohio State win through the air. And then, well, what happened in that one, Tim? Yeah. I think 
another record setting performance. Travion Henderson is just going to go get a first down every time he touches it. Yeah. Teams, poor, teams hey, wait, poor Archie, but go ahead now. Exactly. Uh, and I think he'll probably forgive Travion for that. Yes. Uh, he, he at least did. got the, you know, <laughs> But that's the situation. Like, you know, Maryland made a conscious effort, in my opinion, to take away Travion Henderson in the rushing ta- attack before the off date. And in the first half, they largely did that. But at what cost? They got sliced up by those three receivers and C.J. Stroud. Teams, there's just not – I don't think there's a way to build a defense. Maybe if Ohio State plays Georgia, we'll get to put this to the test. But uh, I don't think you can construct a defense that takes away everything Ohio State can do. This is – you've made this point a number of times. A historically talented offense. Yeah. And, and certainly I think the potential to be the best one – in school history for Ohio State. And I don't know, Indiana's just going to have to flip a coin and decide what way they want to do it. And it may well be a game on Saturday night where Travion Henderson uh, just gets to run wild behind that offensive line. I don't know what they'll pick. I, I think as aggressive as Indiana wants to be, that they, they're going to be susceptible to some passes because that offensive line, I think, is veteran and skilled enough to pick up a lot of those crazy uh, extra pressure packages that Indiana might have. I don't know, but whatever they pick, I just, they're going to get beat by the other thing. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Ohio State's blitz control when it comes to their passing game also is going, you know, with C.J. Stroud now with uh, five games under his belt, you know, being a starter, set out one game, obviously, to let that shoulder uh, receive its supernatural healing. Uh, we got to get to talk to him again because I got to ask him that question. Well, what, yeah. what was that? Was it a bolt of lightning? Was it, uh, you know, an MRI that, you know, would that hit home? I mean, what, what was it, you know? But uh, I don't know. Pair of guns that Colin Morikawa is using. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's one of those massage things where, the, you know, the you know those massage things where the things aren't, you can go like that and do your back. It's a back yeah. scratcher massager. Maybe it was one of those things. Right. But uh, you're right. I mean, uh, but th- that will be, that will be the game where we're, that will be the game within the game because I really think Ohio State, defensively is set up to play these guys. Uh, what also didn't impress you was was uh, Indiana offensively with uh, Chris Olave's uh, former quarterback, Tuttle, throwing the yeah. ball. Uh, that was kind of hard to watch it at times. Uh, they met, they did muster 15 points, but, uh, you know, uh, that's Chris Olave's former quarterback back at uh, back in high school, back in uh, California. Uh, but so – you know, we'll see if this Ohio State defense, young defense, like you talked about, about youth, man, about that U.S. men's national team. You know, we're we're watching one of the younger Ohio State defenses in history, you know, rise in front of our eyes. And, uh, you know, I want to get your take on this. I was thinking about this as we were talking. Uh, what do you think is the uh, – what can a defense – where can a defense get better in an off week, in a rest time in an off week? Obviously <laughs> – the obvious thing would be to say, well, did Haskell Garrett, you know, get well enough to play? I would mm-hmm. think if they're smart, you know, Haskell Garrett probably doesn't play till Pitts till Pittsburgh, till Ohio State plays Penn State in prime time in Ohio Stadium uh, on uh, next weekend. But uh, just your your take, where where could uh, where do you think a defense can get better in an off week? Yeah, you definitely cut my legs out there because it's not just Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith, and yeah. Cameron Brown as well you add those back in that Ohio state defense gets more veteran and uh, maybe more aggressive and and much better. Um, But just another week of competitive practices for this linebacker group in particular, I don't think there was probably a ton of, Hey, uh, 
uh, go at it in the in the trenches, and let's let's really bring along JC Tumalauer, Jack Sawyer. You know, go go to work against Nicholas Petit Pierre. I don't know that that's that's really necessary during this off date, but you know, you want to run some tackling drills. You wanted to be live at some point. You need that because Taraja Mitchell's been through this for a long time. He did. He's in that however many rep club, two thousand reps, even without starting on the practice field. It wasn't going to be that important for him, but yeah. Because we've talked about C.J. Stroud and being through five, six games. I mean, Cody Simon is doing this for the first time. Tommy Eichenberg is doing it first for the first time. And anybody who hasn't watched or made a judgment about him against Tulsa, um, pay attention in the last few weeks. That guy is really coming along uh, at linebacker. And then obviously Steel Chambers, where uh, we've mentioned before just to, that this was the position that he sh- maybe should have played all along. But it doesn't matter. He made that choice. and. He only started it in August. So that's yeah. two and a half months of practice. So the, those can be significant for him. They're not three, four days that he didn't have in April or March or last year. So he can probably still get a lot out of those as he's looking to get more comfortable and grow. And you're, you're seeing that progress already. Um, and then somebody else I didn't even mention with the health, he fits into both of these conversations is, uh, you know, Paula EA Neoteote he's got to be healthy and comfortable. Uh, you know that I think there are a lot of examples from early in his USC career where he looked like a five-star linebacker and he hasn't had a chance to really show that, but that's another thing that Ohio state could potentially put into the mix as they go down the stretch. So really yeah. to me, I think it's about, about reps, about uh, comfort, about teaching, about fundamentals, all those, you know, buzzwords for coaches that off date at linebacker. It's the position what we went into, the season saying, here's the most questions. Then there were so those defections in the middle of the season, but they're starting to come out of it. And that's the group I think that really will determine how good this Ohio state team can be because they still only need to get a couple stops a game, which sounds really easy, but um, you know, you still have to get that job done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's interesting that a linebacker core that, you know, after those two defections a couple of weeks ago, and uh, like we said, uh, some of the problems they had going into the season, just deciding on who their best two or three guys were, you know, and clearly two guys who were left out of that uh, really got upset. Now they're no longer with the team uh, yeah. by hook or crook. I think one was by hook and one was by crook, but uh, I digress. Uh, but then how it could actually be getting better uh, as this year goes on is crazy, especially with Neo Teote, Neo Teote. Neo Teote. I always say Neo Teote because it's easy for me to remember it that way. Uh, and then, you know, I promise you a story about Steel Chambers. I'm going to come up with. I just want to get a little bit of space between you and that really cool, the really cool thing I like to watch every week, the Buck IQ with, uh, with Zach Boren, uh, you know, breaking down guys, why they're better, why they're getting better, why they're getting worse, whatever. You know, he had a really good one. You and he, you and him had a really good one. Uh, about uh, Steel Chambers last week, and uh, I'll just say uh, ditto <laughs> to a lot of what was said there. And uh, it's just amazing to watch that guy. I mean, I don't want to jinx him, but this is a guy that's clearly playing on a level, on another level each week. He's getting a little bit better, yeah. and, you know. And you can see a guy that was a running back in the spring for Ohio State, still in that run for glory. 
possibly being considered for all Big Ten by the end of the year, the way he's coming on, because he looks so much like a real linebacker. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? it? It really is. And I, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've all said that this could have happened earlier, maybe should have happened earlier. Doesn't matter. You know, he couldn't have made a successful transition to that position without buying into it. And when he did, was up to him. Um, but once he made the decision, is all that really matters. He, I don't know that it would have been fair to even say, hey, in six weeks, Steel Chambers, we know you can do this. We think you're going to be good at it. You have to lead Ohio State in tackles in a Big Ten game in six weeks. Yeah. It's a hard position. Uh, when Zach starts talking about that on Buck IQ and the things that you have to process to play that that spot, it's it's not as easy as he likes to make it sound with read and react. There is a lot of instinctual stuff that has to happen, and Steel Chambers has that. It's important, but you know the the schematic stuff. And if if somebody in front of me jumps out of this gap, what's the what's the right way to fill it? How do yeah. I handle that? You know, which block? Oh, there are so many things to process there. It's not easy to learn. And so that's why I say the last week for the off date with him could still be really relevant because he's, he's still just learning this stuff. You know, he, he wasn't splitting time last year or the year before learning both. Yeah. And there may be some things that he feels naturally about, okay, well, this is what happens when I was a running back. Maybe that's what I, I would set up a linebacker this way or whatever, but he wasn't learning Ohio state's defensive scheme. He wasn't learning what Al Washington wants to coach fundamentally. He wasn't watching film of Indiana to try and figure out what, you know, what keys he's going to be reading. All that stuff is is still going to be new for him. But the way he's handled it in such a short time is very, very impressive. And uh, I, I just think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, you know, but I'll, I've always believed. I mean, I've watched enough sports over the last. I'm 67 over the last 59. 60 years to know that a lot of stuff I even played, you know, even played back backyard football and baseball with guys. Some guys are just instinctual, you know, about playing certain games and they know where to go. Just like my son, man, he was a natural center fielder. Of course, God would make him a natural center fielder on a sport that I'm not really a you know, big fan of watching on a long time basis. But uh, he would go crack at the bat and Corey was off going for the ball when he was nine years old. You know, it made no sense. And uh, uh, but certain guys are like that. And then you add in a little bit of knowledge like uh, Steel Chambers is getting from week to week. It's crazy how much, you know, you can clear sit. And then you add on top of that the fact that he's a former running back with running back speed. You know, yeah. you got something there. I mean, that piano player, you know, I talked about him looking like he was playing a keyboard there when he was talking to us post game a couple of weeks ago, kind of moving his head. You know, hopefully he went back and watched that. But. He clearly had a song in his head, but the main yeah. thing was he's 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 that real first linebacker you've seen this year that can go uh, from the top of the from the top of the piano to the bottom of the piano. I mean, you know, fifty three and a third yards. He's covering all of it uh, uh, in one form or fashion. He's getting to the ball, and that is so huge, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that Ohio State adding Steel Chambers into that mix gives them a little bit closer, much more closer, I guess, that to what they had a year ago with those four veteran guys that, yes. you know, they all did things a little bit differently. You weren't going to count on Justin Hilliard to play 70 snaps of defense. He had a clearly defined role and he was really good at when he was out there. 
Steel Chambers has that athleticism that's, I think, different maybe than the other three guys. Cody Simon is very, very athletic as well. Um, and Taraja Mitchell, you know he's going to go and, – and Tommy Eichenberg, those guys are going to stuff everything inside the box. Pretty pretty sharp guys who like to go hit somebody. They do that well. And then if you've got you know maybe some ver- more versatility with Simon um, and Steel Chambers, then that expands that toolbox for you defensively if you're Ohio State. And the same thing is true with what they're – trying to accomplish there in the secondary when they're, whether that's with Marcus Williamson or Lathan Ransom or Cameron Martinez, you know, we, we talked about this earlier in the year and I guess you could, we were critical of it. And I think there was reason to be, they were, they had all these pieces and all these ideas for how to do it, but they weren't, they weren't taking it one step at a time. So they were clearly defined roles that guys were comfortable with. And then from there, if you wanted to start mixing in matches, potentially you could, yeah, but you know now you're you're starting to maybe see some of that come to fruition. Part of it is with what you've talked about with the two high safeties and Bryce and Shaw being uh, more comfortable maybe in that role. Ronnie Hickman, um, just none of these guys were really ready for uh, graduate level football in September, and they tried to. I think they tried to skip steps, and now they they're growing and and learning and taking it like college students. And getting better at it as they go along, and I think that's going to pay dividends late in October, in November, maybe December. It yep. just that's the part that you're talking about with off week, middle of the season. Look at what you you know what you have now. The coaching staff can maybe maybe tinker and expand if they want, but all these other guys, they would have gone through that. And be like, okay, well, here's what we did in the first six weeks. Here's where we got better. Here's where it can still grow. Oh yeah. I, now that makes sense to me. I didn't get that a month ago. That's that's all changing, I think, for them. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I, you know, I always equate everything, and my analogies go to either race cars or uh, aviation, <laughs> fighter planes. And the thing about Ronnie Hickman, I just keep reminding people, he's like having that heat-seeking missile in the back of your sec in the back of your defense, who goes <laughs> to where the heat is, and yeah. uh, that's the best way of you know when, especially when he ends up in that. Uh, in that double high safety, that two high safety look occasionally with Bryce and Shaw. And, you know, we're seeing Lathan, Lathan Ransom back there and some other guys, but the way they kind of mix and match that little thing is just interesting to me how they are. They are still, they got back to basics, but they are still playing some games with people. And you got to think those games will even get more complicated. Not that they've had a week to work on some things, a week to let people kind of rest up also. And uh, I'm just curious to see how that goes, you know, down the stretch because they're going to need, they're going to need all the heat-seeking missiles they can get, right, when they go against this this uh, this gauntlet they're going to run here in the next six weeks. Yep, and that's the beauty of it is that all this stuff that we've talked about, we knew that the four-week stretch they were most likely going to win and probably win comfortably in all of them, and it would be tempting to overreact and, and say that everything was fixed. I think it, the mile markers that they passed were significant and deserved to be checked off. Um, but now the rest of this destination, uh, you're, you're going to, it's going to be on an incline and the games get bigger, the stakes get higher, all that stuff, the comp- quality of competition is going to get better. So we're going to see, uh, if it's for real in the next few weeks. And yeah. I think, I think right now, if I put my money down on it uh, and based on what I've seen from the rest of the big 10, that Ohio state will get through these next six, seven weeks and, and raise another trophy. But now is the time that they'll have to go out and prove it, and um, we'll have a lot more information at our fingertips to work with. Yeah, 
boy, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, there's a big weekend coming this coming, you know, the next weekend. Uh, obviously Ohio State's got to get past Indiana at Indiana primetime game. No doubt about it. Uh, Indiana is smarting from the wind. Uh, had a shot last year to upset Ohio State and couldn't quite get it done in the second mm-hmm. half when Ohio State, Justin Fields, everybody associated with Ohio State kind of relaxed <laughs> after taking that big halftime lead. They can explain any way they want, but when another team just keeps throwing haymakers and you've kind of let your guard down a little bit, that's what can happen to you. Ohio State was able to escape that game. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Indiana is not as capable as it was this time a year ago. With Michael Penix Jr., even if he gets to play against Ohio State, is he going to be the same Michael Penix Jr. that uh, was throwing those darts in the second half against Ohio State last year? Uh, I, I don't really see that being the case. And uh, But, yeah, the next weekend with Ohio State hosting Penn State in prime time, 7.30 on ABC, and then, and then earlier in the day, Michigan uh, and Michigan State going at it high noon in the, what, Fox Big, Fox big Game of the Week. Uh, yeah. That's really going to set the tables for the last four weeks of the Big Ten East race. And uh, it's funny how you kind of look forward to the next week more than you do this one. And, of course, sometimes <laughs> that can uh, bring a little – catastrophe if you're not being careful right it's the way college football works but i know shaping up to be a, a quiet weekend on paper you still don't want to tune in you're going to see something that you didn't expect yeah like alabama was looking forward to playing at mississippi state you know and uh, stubbed its toe at texas a&m is it kind of what you're talking about right there oh yeah uh, exactly yeah no it's crazy hey last thing uh uh uh, uh you know my buddy uh my buddy Dennis Dodd, he's a he's a friend of the show. He's been on my show a few times. But uh, as we record this on a Monday afternoon uh, for this podcast for this week, he put out a tweet in the middle of the day. And sometimes tweets, you know, kind of let you into the way a guy's thinking. Sometimes tweets, you get the idea, let you into why way a guy's thinking. You might be thinking, I'm going to stir the pot here a little bit, you know. And uh, he listed his uh, top seven players for the Heisman in a halfway Heisman hype, he said. He said, uh, number one, Bryce Young, Alabama. Number two, Matt Corral, Ole Miss. Number three, Jordan Davis, Georgia. Number four, Kenneth Walker, the third, Michigan State. Number five, Caleb Williams, the new quarterback at Oklahoma. Uh, Number six, Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh. And number seven, Tanner Mordecai, SMU. Who's missing? Who's missing off that list? Well, awesome. CJ I mean, Stroud this is a guy. This is a guy that's missing off that list. Who, when he's played, even when he got beat, has put up big numbers, huge numbers, and uh, resulted in a lot of touchdowns for Ohio State. Uh, responsible for, thrown for, uh, you know, more than a mile already. Uh, his name is CJ Stroud, who's going to be in the running for the Heisman Trophy if he keeps up his current pace or if he even falls off a little bit from his current pace, he's lead directing the, you know, at least going into the last week, the number one offense in the country, total offense. Uh, is that a slip by our friend Dennis Dodd? I think that he's wrong. I will say that, but everybody gets to cast their own ballots and have their own opinions. I think right now, more than any other time I can remember, uh, I'm not trying to use any recency bias here, but there are some people that are putting Ohio State at number 21 on their ballot. There's this Heisman poll that seems to be ignoring 
everything that not only C.J. Stroud has done, but also Travion Henderson. Yeah. You know, Vegas clearly disagrees when it puts out the gambling odds for guys that are most likely to win the Heisman right now. It doesn't really match up very well with Dennis's list, and that's fine. If we all agreed on this, none of us would have any jobs. Right. Because <laughs> it would be really easy, and everything would be black and white. But that seems to be ignoring the reality of C.J. Stroud uh, when you have rankings that are as nonsensical as that when uh, this team, yes, they lost a game. Everyone with eyes can tell that this is a national title contender. Will they win one? I don't know. They're going to have to play seven times uh, before they could get to that point to prove it on the field. I can guarantee that uh, when the, if the college football playoff rankings were out right now, they wouldn't be number 21. So, um, you know, I just feel like there's a lot – Ohio State's fan base is so big, so passionate, um, and they pay attention to all of college football and not just the Buckeyes, that there just seems to be this this Mark May-type thing going on again with multiple people that are just like, you know what? This would be much easier for me. It happened in the offseason, too. Remember, Tim, with yeah. Ryan Day, not a top-20 coach. Like It's like, you know what? I'm just going to – I'm going to slip this one in there, and I'm going to see the, the attention come in, roll in, the yeah. page, the clicks, all that come in. And I'm not saying that Dennis did that in this situation. I just feel like that's been happening more frequently because Ohio State uh, is going to always be quick to defend their program, which they should. Yeah. You know, I could see I could see somebody putting C.J. Stroud fourth or fifth or sixth, but, I mean, not even on not even on that list. That list may go on farther than that. All I saw was seven. Uh, I, you know, you know, I did. Yeah, so, uh, I guess that's. I guess that's my point. And then you got Kenneth Walker, the third, coming off an eighty-three yard game. Clearly, he can be neutralized. I mean, you know what I mean. And everybody who's going to play Michigan State from now on is going to take a page at least, or maybe a chapter out of Indiana's uh, defensive playbook and try to. You know, he, it wasn't eighty-three carries, eighty-three yards on you know, eight carries. It was eighty-three yards on I think twenty-four carries. Michigan yeah. State kept trying to get him involved. And uh, kept failing, and uh, or get him involved big time. And so, you know, that's why you know in this age, when you pick a running back, when you throw, when you put a running back, I mean, I'm I'm reluctant to put Travion Henderson in that running. I think he's been outstanding, but he's not going to get he's not going to get the touches. He's not going to get the the chances to be the outstanding offensive player that. C.J. Stroud is going to get in this offense, as you well know, having covered this offense for low these many years. This offense is about featuring the quarterback and what he does best, whether it's running and throwing, whether it's throwing and maybe running, whether it's throwing and barely running, which is the case with C.J. Stroud. It's does, From year to year, it changes, but it's the quarterback who gets the most chance to, to really shine. I know J.K. Dobbins you know, really came on. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott really came on. They, they came on really late in those seasons for the most part. You know what I mean? Oh, when the Heisman voting's all done and when Ohio State's really got you set up for the haymakers and uh, like a boxing match. And uh, so, yeah, I agree. But, but anybody's voting Ohio State number 21 on their official ballot, you know, uh, at the moment, uh, that, that person should be revisited as a, uh, as a bona fide official voter. I, do you agree? Uh, yes. And look, I've said this with a lot of, even the college football playoff rankings, they're fun and they're debate. I think that I'm not suggesting that we should make 
college football less fun. Like some people's opinions are going to be out there on a limb. They're not always going to be right. I would hate to eliminate that part of it because uh, this that's what's always fueled the passion in the sport. And I don't, I don't want to rain on any of that parade. I just, I feel like it's targeted. Yes. This course that I don't don't believe it. You don't want to believe that sometimes, but then you see it and you go, well, what else could it be? What, what else, what else could it be? You're talking about a team that's, that is lead, you know, still the number one team in the big 10 has lost one game by a touchdown uh, in a strange game, but, by a touchdown, deserved to lose that game based on the way they played defensively uh, and really offensively at certain times. But to the team that's probably going to win the Pac-12, you know what I mean? They didn't lose to a two-loss team uh, coming out of nowhere. You know, that's that's the part. It's like, what what is their axe to grind, you know? I don't know. They weren't penalized for their loss the same way that uh, Alabama was or wasn't. So, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know. They're still a great example. The great thing, Tim, is that there are uh, six weeks of the regular season left. There's a championship weekend. And more often than not in this sport, it does sort itself out on the field, uh, sometimes in the way that you least expect it, sometimes in the way that you do expect it. And this stuff will, in the middle, the stuff from happening in the middle of October, by December 5th or 6th or whatever it is this year, it won't matter. And uh, yeah, it'll just, it'll just be a memory of, are we really talking about uh, Tanner Mordecai winning the Heisman? What? Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? He is having a hell of a year. I give it up to him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, look out. Here comes SMU, right? For now. Yeah. Hey, uh, last thing, uh, speaking of that, uh, University of Cincinnati, the fighting fickles. Uh, dude, Ohio, the, state of Ohio, the state of Ohio has two teams in the top five crazy we're living in we're listening living in crazy times and uh luke fickle's team looks better now than it did when it beat notre dame and my i know it's all about who you're playing and you know uh you know uh competition is what makes fights but uh uh there's no doubt luke fickle has a special team agreed uh absolutely and they're not really gonna have it's the same deal as ohio state on paper right now that yeah there's nobody in their league that should beat them and they have to – and of all people, Luke Fickle is pretty well equipped to handle this, to fight off complacency and keep keep them motivated. And, and he's got, you know, his own right-hand man, just like Mickey Mirati, uh, a protege down there, and Brady Collins. Those guys will keep them locked in, I would assume. Now, anything can happen in college football, but it's hard to see that team losing right now. They, that defense is going to show up every single week, and, um, you know, the offense – wasn't flawless in the first month of the season. And people were wondering a little bit about uh, is this quarterback worth all the hype and draft talk? And could he be a Heisman candidate? It wasn't perfect, but man, he's, he's coming along and he, he's certainly good enough to win a lot of games for them. And so it's setting up for, it could be an interesting selection Sunday. If you spin things forward the way that they could go. Uh, I know that I got asked about that on Monday morning on some, on the radio show here at, with uh, Bishop and Laurinaitis, like do they, does Ohio State need to be worried about Cincinnati? Uh, you know, I don't know that you worry about it. Yeah, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, it's hard to imagine both of them being in the playoff, but you know, they both of them have so much football ahead of them. 
it, it there's not a lot of value to I think worrying about doomsday scenarios. Yeah. Like I said, like I just said before, with all that other stuff, this sport does tend to work itself out generally pretty neatly. Not always, um, but Luke Fickle, another person, like I feel good for him. You know, yeah. that wasn't an easy easy lift, um, and and there, certainly there were people that doubted him after 2011, but he has shown that he has the chops to do that better than almost anybody in the country, in my opinion. He is a phenomenal coach. Yeah, they're just playing on such a level now offensively and defensively. I mean, just uh, such a such a confident defense out there running around and uh, creating havoc. And then uh, Ritter, I mean, uh, you know, quarterback is playing extremely well and across the board there offensively. It's just uh, – it's kind of like fun. I mean – Fun to watch them. I mean, they should have beaten Notre Dame more than they did, you know, I mean, uh, at Notre Dame. And uh, uh, so we'll see where that goes. Hey, last thing before we get out of here, you didn't know this guy, but uh, uh, passed away last week and it kind of went under my radar for some reason. Uh, a guy uh, knew extremely well at the Columbus Dispatch, a longtime columnist, uh, was brought in for the, from the Louisville Courier Journal, kind of shook things up. In the sports writing world in Columbus, when he did in the early 80s, uh, Dick Finland, he passed away. It was in his 90s. Uh, was a pretty good friend of mine, at least when we were working together and stuff. Always liked going places with Dick Finland. And uh, and he was the guy, the first columnist to really come into Columbus because he came in from, you know, out of town, even though he was originally had had a job in Columbus way back when, but uh, came in from Louisville and uh, didn't see the sacred cows like a lot of people did. <laughs> and uh, proceeded uh, to uh, butcher them on occasion, you know, the <laughs> sacred cows, and uh, and really caused some consternation, not only sometimes with Ohio State fans and uh, and others, because he also praised them as much as anybody too, but uh, consternation within the building at the Columbus Dispatch where I used to work and uh, got him in, <laughs> I don't know if hot water is the right term, hot tub, let's put it that way, uh, you know, made you know, some people tried to make life uncomfortable for him on occasion, but he stuck to his guns always. And kind of retired early because he wanted to be with his wife, Bobby, you know, uh, when he could still walk around and have a good time and travel, et cetera. And um, he passed away over the weekend. And, and I was reminded, I even put this story on Twitter. Uh, he and I covered the 1984 Olympics together out in, out in Los Angeles. And we, uh, you know, budget constraints, et cetera. We shared the same hotel room, which was kind of funny because it was almost like a, one of those things where somebody, you know, sleeps while the other guy's working. That's the way it felt like to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would come in every night. I, I wrote five or six stories every day, and he wrote a column. You know what I mean? And uh, his nickname was Daylight Dick because he always liked to get his column done before sunset. And, uh, you know, didn't he really didn't like late starting games at all. He would not probably have survived is not the right term, but he probably would not have gotten along well in this uh, – primetime era because we're about to see two Ohio State primetime games in a row. Uh, but uh, bottom line is uh, uh, I, I reminded people I would get get home really late uh, from covering some nighttime event in the Olympics. And uh, we were an afternoon paper then, so you'd write, you know, into the morning, you'd be done. Uh, and I would get in, in the bathroom sink, there'd be the remnants of one of those little plastic mesh uh, six packs with two <laughs> beers left in it. Every night with ice that was almost gone, but uh, he looked after me even, you know, and uh, and I appreciate him. Of course, I, I knew where the other four went in rapid succession, uh, kind of like you, man. He didn't 
he didn't meet a beer he didn't like, you know. And uh, so, yeah. yeah. But Dick Finland, man, I mean, he was he was sort of a kind of like you're working with a little bit of a hero there. You know, he was a much much older. Yeah, he was a lot older than I was. I used to call him old man all the time. Now I'm 67. Feel bad about doing that. But uh, <laughs> but he was one of those guys that just didn't. He would smile at you and then cut your throat. You know what I mean, kind of guy. I mean, uh, he didn't take getting bullied by any stretch by anybody, including his bosses, and uh, and just uh, was was a stand up guy. I guess that's the nice guy and stand up guy is the best way of describing him. But Dick Finland, R.I.P. Man, it was great to have known you. And uh, awesome. Any of your last words you want to throw in there? Now I don't know what bandana you're going to be wearing this week. Are you? Uh, you don't wear a bandana when you cover Ohio State, but when you cheer, cheer, cheer for the home team, you definitely do when it comes to the uh, the crew and the uh, and the uh, yeah, don't, Blue Jackets. Don't think that I'll have any uh, use for a bandana this week as Liberty had never uh, <laughs> seen one of those for a national team game. Uh, she hadn't been uh, alive for Allie and I to go to a qualifier, so she thought those were pretty cool. So – Saturday, she wanted to be a, my twin, and she had just actually got one, a, a game of black and yellow one from the Nordeca a few weeks ago. She didn't know what they were for. She just thought they were kind of like a towel. I said, well, we can be twins uh, if, you were, if you're ready for one. So that was her first, uh, first bandana going on, and she saw Daddy with his last week, and she, was, she thought that was really cool. It's, it, that part is fun, Tim. I know you've been through this, but yeah. to pass, pass on the fandom and – see them starting to, you know, really enjoy all the stuff that goes with it is, is really cool. Uh, I, I hope it keeps growing with, with her. And like I said, like Columbus has a bunch of opportunities for that for her. So yeah, I'm glad that she's liking it. Yeah. I feel, I feel so speaking of fan of my, my middle kid, Corey, he and he and uh, 10 or 11 of his friends were looking forward to this for like three or four, five uh, weeks. They got tickets for the uh, Cleveland Browns. Uh, Arizona game, the match of the two Oklahoma Heisman winners, yeah. and was so excited about going to that game. And uh, <laughs> things imploded on him quickly there in the uh, in the Brown Stadium. But uh, you know, he's he's a big fan. He's a big boy, and he, he understands, especially being a fan of all things Cleveland for some reason. He understands there's more heartache than joy, you know, covering or watching a lot of those teams. But uh, he enjoyed that immensely. And like I said, I tweeted up. Uh, a picture of you guys, you and your wife and your dad, by the way. Bless your heart getting to go to a big-time game like that with your dad, man. That's a cherished memory also. But, uh, you know, I thought Allie looked like she was posing for the Statue of Liberty, uh, which is the name of y'all's kid in that one picture. And uh, I thought that was priceless. I thought you'd at least get a kick out of seeing yourself on the big screen. Yeah, so <laughs> it, we don't usually get quite that close um, because – Traditionally, the American Outlaws supporters section and the Nordeca are general admission. And, you know, because of the way things work and organizing and that, this new era that we all live in, yeah. it was a seating. I had no idea that we were in the fifth row right behind the goal. So the, you know, the camera arm and my dad was like, you know, trying to keep moving around. It would be in the way it would drop down and it's close to you. So it's blocking everything at the far end of the field a little bit. It's like, we don't want to be on TV. Like it is cool. And everybody saw that, like we love supporting the U S U S soccer. And if that maybe gets somebody else down the road uh, into it or want to try it, cool. All the better. I'll be happy to buy them a beer to come out uh, at some experience down the road so they can get into soccer, but the same, same uh, offer for you, Tim. But you know, that part was like, 
our phones are blowing up and you know, my dad pulls out his phone to take a picture because the U.S. is coming down there to celebrate with the supporter section. Yeah. And that's, that's what my sister saw. I was getting mine out too. She's like, you guys, you just can't put your phone down. Yeah. And I don't know that the camera's on and I'm just trying to, you know, celebrate yeah. the, end of the game. But when he first got on you, man, when he first got on, you, you and Allie were singing along with the crowd and clapping. I mean, you know, you were into it. I got to get up to you. And your dad reminded reminded me of me because he's trying to figure out how to make his camera phone work. <laughs> My mom was a little bit worn out. So it was the four yeah. of us there. Yeah. So she anyway. was sitting next to Allie uh, just out of camera shot there. But uh, it, that was really, as you said, like, obviously, I enjoy the fact that I'm doing this with Liberty. Um, and to have, you know, my dad was a lot like you for a long time, didn't, wasn't into soccer. And as we got into it, he would watch it. And I've gone to a number of qualifiers and gold cup games with him. And now he's really, uh, you know, into it, uh, or at least does a great job of pretending to be, but I think that, I think that it's legit. And so those, those things are special, you know, um, uh, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to do that. And as we sit here and think about, you know, difficult stretch that our, our buddy Jeremy Birmingham is going through. Like, yes, you know, I, I'm glad that I had that opportunity and, and I hope to get as many more as possible, but that, that one was pretty special for us. No kidding, man. Uh, special moments. Uh, well, on that note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my friend cohort, uh, uh, awesome Ward for joining me again on the Tim May podcast. And this time a week from now, we're going to be back. We're going to be talking about Ohio state, Indiana, you know, these podcasts kind of get into like uh, post-examination uh, uh, and previewing games in the middle of this season, in the middle of a season, because really there are so much interesting stuff to talk about in both respects. And, yeah. uh, and of course, I'll have another special guest on, a man of national repute, uh, next week to help preview that Penn State game. Hey, awesome. Are they calling it, instead of white out the night, are calling it fright out the night? What are they going to call it uh, – on Saturday night in Ohio Stadium. What do you think? A fright out the night to me sounds like a, a perfect little uh, a pun. Sounds better, than, sounds better than Scarlet Out. Yeah, Scarlet Out makes no sense. Uh, hopefully it won't be that. Gray Out, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, but anyway, uh, now I've lost my way. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, for Awesome Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then.